Well, hello, everybody. How are we doing today? I know that uh, Natalie already welcomed our first-time guests, but we also have those of them uh, people joining us online. And so can we give a great big welcome to those, our first-time guests and those who are joining us online. We're so glad that you're here today. Amen. We are going to finish up our quicksand series today. Uh, we've talked about forgiving others, talked about forgiving God, and now today we're going to talk about forgiving ourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going in today. We're going in today. And so uh, here's my hope as we dive into this is that uh, you will hear the heart of God for you and that you will receive the heart of God for yourself and that you will allow his heart to heal your heart. Amen. Um, how many of you brought your Bibles today? Let me see your Bibles. Raise them up. Come on. Our Bibles are powerful in our hands. So here's what I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to flip to a lot of scriptures today because I have so many scriptures that it, you'd be missing what I'm saying trying to find the scripture uh, in your seat. So here's what I want us to do. Uh, I want you to uh, write down every scripture that I, I read to us today. And I want to ask you for a commitment, not for me, not between me and you, but between you and God, that you'll take each one of these scriptures starting today when you get home, sometime today before you go to bed, or right before you go to bed, and every day this week, read every one of these scriptures over your life. How many of you will do that? Come on, raise your hands high. All right. All right. Read it every day this week because what, here's, the, here's the reason why I'm asking that. The Word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the soul and the spirit. And so when we read the Word of God, it reads us. It's active in us and it reads us and it washes us and it cleanses us and it renews our mind and it restores our heart and it reflects the nature and the heart of God to us. Uh, so that's why it's important for us, and I want us to get this message in particular deep, deep in our heart, because some of us have been able to forgive other people, some of us have been able to forgive God, but oftentimes people have a hard time forgiving themselves. When they have fallen short of, of what they hope for, or what God has laid out for us, oftentimes the one that's the most difficult to, to forgive is ourselves. And so I've literally had people after service uh, the first week when I've talked about forgiving others, literally had people walk up to me and said, that was a great message. I've been able to do that with tear-filled eyes, say, but the one that I've been struggling to forgive is myself. The one that I've been struggling to forgive is myself. I can't forgive me for what I have done. And I remember uh, when the Lord really began to reveal this to me in my own personal life. It was about 30 years ago I was in Bible college. That's hard to say. I was sitting over there a minute ago thinking, man, I was, that's a long time ago. <laughs> I'm only 32, so I went as a young man. But <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> yes, very young. Uh, but anyway, one day I, was, I would get up every day. And I, I would pray. I would just walk the halls. We had the ugliest carpet in our dorms. It was green and it had these patterns like this. And that kind of stuff just, I like it. And so I'm watching and I'm following the patterns as I'm praying. But I'm walking up and down the hall every day. And then one, this one day I'm praying. I'm begging God for forgiveness for something I had done years before. And I continue to ask God, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. And I was so afraid. It wasn't like I was confident 
in God's forgiveness. What I was doing was I was trying to say, God, if I pray enough, if I do enough, you will be able to forgive me. God, please forgive me. And the Lord so graciously spoke to me and he said, Randy, I forgave you the first time you asked me, which had been years before. And I've forgiven you every single time you ask. And then as I was sitting there waiting, listening, the Lord says, you need to forgive yourself. I was like, well, God, you know, if I'm, I'm, I, I love you and, and I want to follow you and I want to do for you and I want to honor you with my life. And I kept pressing in and pressing in and God said, I forgave you. Will you forgive yourself? He kept speaking this to my heart. I didn't know what to do with that. But I know that I found it very difficult. And I know that other people find it difficult as well. So here are some of the things that are important to us. We need to know that God has forgiven us. But oftentimes when we're struggling with unforgiveness towards ourselves, we're still holding charges against ourselves. Either refusing or unable to forgive ourselves. We're either saying, I'm not going to because it was such a great offense in my life and I'm not going to forgive myself because I never want to go down that path again or I'm just not able to offer to my own heart the forgiveness that I've received from the Lord. So here are a few things that pop up. These are not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are some of the things that just popped up top of mind for me when we were talking about forgiving ourselves. How can it show up in our lives? How do we know Oftentimes it shows up as self-hatred. We are angry with ourselves. You ever walked around and called yourself stupid? You ever done something? You go, you're so dumb. Why do you do that? You keep doing this and you keep doing that. And we just start loathing. We loathe our own self, our own being. There's self-hatred there. Shame. We feel a sense of shame all over us. And the shame is not just this feeling of doing something wrong. That's guilt. Shame is saying that there's something wrong with me. I'm flawed. I didn't just do something wrong. Something's wrong with me. That's why I did that. I'm flawed. Accusation. We make accusation against ourselves. Blame. Outbursts of anger. You ever found yourself just this come out of you? You're going, where did that come from? Why was that so strong? I want to encourage you to look inside and go, Lord, anger is always a secondary emotion. So, Lord, why am I so angry right now? What is it? Is it something, and oftentimes the Lord will bring you back to something inside of yourself. That has nothing to do with what was done or even how you feel about what was done. It just is this feeling that taps something inside of us or there's regret. Deep-seated regret inside of us. Forgiving ourselves is difficult and very, very humbling. It is something we have to look at what we've done and how we failed. And we have to receive the forgiveness of God. And we have to offer the forgiveness of God to ourselves. We have to receive it. Why is this important for us to be able to forgive ourselves? Why? It's just hurting me. It's not hurting anybody else around me, God. It just hurts me. That's not true. That's a deceptive lie from the pit of hell. It hurts everybody around you. Hurts every relationship you have. It hurts your marriage. It hurts your relationship with your children. It hurts your relationship with your employer. It hurts every relationship. And it hurts your relationship with God. You can't be gracious to yourself. But why is it important? Our past failures can plague us, blocking us from receiving and living in the fullness of God's love, 
God's purposes and God's destiny for our lives. So it's important that these blocks of unforgiveness are identified, that they're brought before God, and that they're healed so that we can be free. So how do you know if you're dealing with it towards yourself? There are some of the symptoms I just talked about, but here's a couple of things that may pop up in your heart and your mind. You know God has forgiven you, but you just can't get over it yourself. I know God has forgiven me, but I just can't get over this. can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that I did it and thought it was okay. I can't believe that I did it and then I did it again and I did it again and I did it again. I can't believe it. I won't let it go. You regularly feel that you have to make something up to God because of your past. God, if you will just deliver me from this moment, I will always serve you. I will always follow your ways. I will always do your will. God, just deliver me from this very moment. Deliver me from this sin in my life, Lord. If you will do it, I'm going to, I promise you I will work for you. And we're trying to make it up to God. I'm working hard. I'm serving in a small group. I give. I lay my life down. I'm trying to prove to you, God, that I'm really sorry for what I've done. I'm trying to make it up to you. Another way we can know is when, when you think God's love for you, and you think about it, it makes you feel more uncomfortable than it does make you feel comfortable. When you think about the love of God for yourself, you're going, I love that idea, I love that concept, but I, when I think about it, I feel more uncomfortable with that idea than I feel comfortable why? Because I really don't think I deserve it. These are a few. There's, there's, this, this by no means is an exhaustive list. These feelings in others basically can be symptoms that you have not forgiven yourselves. So when we're, when we're walking in unforgiveness towards ourselves, what are some of the things that we're telling ourselves? What are some of the things that may be going through our mind? Maybe some of these will resonate with you today. And the first one is, we think it's humble. We think it's humble. I'm, I will never be okay with it because I want others to know that I feel terrible about what I've done. So I can talk about the forgiveness of God for you. I can talk about the forgiveness of God for all people. But when it comes to me, I'm going to go, yeah, I did receive the forgiveness of God. But man, I just want you to know I really still feel bad about what I've done. Now, here's what I want us to do. What I do want us to know is there is truly godly sorrow. But godly sorrow is not a state of being. Godly sorrow is a moment that draws us to the point where we go, God, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against someone else. God, forgive me. It breaks my heart. We see this in uh, Psalm 51 with, uh, with David. When David's repenting from his adulterous affair from murder as he comes before God and he's going, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. That's a moment of godly sorrow where he's realizing, God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. And because I've sinned against you, I need cleansing. I need to be made whole. I need to be made right. And so I come to you in this moment and say, God, cleanse me and make me whole again. So we sometimes, when we hold an unforgiveness towards ourselves, we think it's humble. We never want God to have this feeling that we're ungrateful for his 
salvation and for his forgiveness. So we hold unforgiveness towards ourselves. The other thing that we oftentimes can think is that it's healthy. It's healthy. I don't want to be irresponsible for my bad choices. I want to take responsibility for my bad choices. I want you to know that I'm not going to shut that off to somebody else. I'm not going to just push that away and go, it didn't really matter. No, I'm taking responsibility for it. And it's a healthy thing for me to do. It is healthy for us to recognize our fallenness. But it's not healthy for us to take on the responsibility of making it right. Because here's the reality. We can't make it right. We can never go undo what was done. We can never go remove the hurt that was caused. We can never go and undo the actions that were taken. We can't make it right. Only God can make it right. Or sometimes we think it's unhealthy because we don't want it to seem like it's no big deal. We don't want to minimize what we've done. So we think it's healthy for us to walk under this weight of unforgiveness for what we've done. The third thing that we can oftentimes think is that it's helping us. It's helping us. We go, if I, if I carry this weight and I don't just let it go, then it's going to keep me from doing this again. And I don't ever want to do this again. So I'm going to let this rest on my shoulder so I don't go do this again. We think that's helping us. We think that's being helpful to us. In other words, we're trying to make up for it through hard work, self-effort, proving, and self-punishment. All of these things, that it's humble, that it's healthy, or that it's helping, are deceptions from the, from the enemy. They're deceptions from the enemy, and they lock us up into shame. They lock us up into the shame, and the shame sits down on us, and we carry it throughout our lives. We believe that who I am and what I've done is so bad, it can't or shouldn't be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven. Can I tell you something? None of us deserve to be forgiven. But we are. We are. God forgives us. God is gracious to us. He's merciful to us. God never turns His love away from us. Ever. Never. Never has. He never will. We believe sometimes that what we've done couldn't or shouldn't be forgiven. It's one of these deceptions that says, God may forgive me, but I won't forgive myself. I'll never let myself forget that. Because if we have this understanding or this belief that says, to forget means to forgive, that's a false understanding of forgiveness. Remember we talked about that the first week? Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is releasing. It's releasing Someone from judgment. Or pay the penalty of their wrong. What we say is, I'm going to release myself from paying the penalty for my wrong because I can't pay it. And it's already been paid. John 10.10. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance... More than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. What does the enemy want to come and steal from us? 
What is it that he wants to come and destroy in our lives? What is it that he wants to come and have his way in our life and pull things away from us? What, are, what is it that he's after? I think he's after one thing. Our connection with God. He wants to come and steal our connection with God. He wants to come and steal our connection with one another. And he wants to come and steal our connection with ourselves, with our own self-worth and value. Think about what Jesus said when he said, what's the greatest commandment of them all? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like like the first. To love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love our neighbor. Love ourselves. Where does the enemy want to come and steal from us in those three relationships? Break our relationship in connection with God. Break it with each other and to break it with ourselves. That's why we taught forgive others, forgive God, and forgive yourself. Holding on to unforgiveness towards ourselves also disconnects us from ourselves. In other words, there's self-hatred that steps in, blocking us from being all that God has provided us for us to be, our destiny, our purposes. The enemy comes to deceive us and to change our focus from what God has done to what we have done. He's come to take your eyes off of, what, off of God, the one who has redeemed you, restored you, renewed you, empowered you, and put it on yourself. And now we take all of this effort, and it's self-effort, to try to prove something to God and to others, that we're sorry enough, or that we're broken enough, or whatever the case may be. Unforgiveness towards ourself places self as the ultimate judge above God's judgment. What we're saying in this moment is, I am the one who decides what is good. I am the one who decides what is bad. I am the one who decides what is enough and what is not enough. I am the one that decides what is forgiven and what is not forgiven. What we do when we won't forgive ourselves is this. We place ourselves on the throne of our own heart. Because what we're saying is, God... What you provided wasn't good enough. What you provided wasn't strong enough. What you provided wasn't enough for me. The work that Jesus did was lacking. So I need to add to it. Shame always leads us to self-effort and hiding. Leads us to hiding, self-effort, self-preservation. Leads us to this place where We erect walls in our lives because we're hiding. We don't want you to see behind the wall. We want you to see in front of the wall. And as long as you can accept what's in front of the wall, or if you knew what was behind the wall, would you really still love and accept and care? Be open. So we don't just erect a wall with people. We erect a wall with God. We see this happen in Genesis chapter 3, right from the very fall of man. God would come down every day. Just read this in Genesis chapter 3. Write it down. Y'all aren't writing it down. You're not going to be able to read this. Genesis 3. Y'all made a commitment. I'm going to help you. Genesis chapter 3. God would come down in the cool of the day, it says in some translations, and he would come and walk with Adam and Eve. He would talk with them. He would commune with them. He would connect with them every day. And then after Adam and Eve sinned, it says that, They 
clothed themselves. And when God came down to be with them in the day that they hid. Because they knew that they were naked. And they were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid that I'm no longer acceptable now. Some translations said they were naked and ashamed. They were ashamed, so now they don't want to stand up in front of God, so they clothe themselves. I want you to think about this for just a moment, okay? I'm not trying to be too graphic here, but when they put clothes over themselves, where did they clothe? Their most intimate, tender places of their body. When we erect these walls, we hide the most intimate and tender places of our heart. We hide them from God. We hide them from others. And oftentimes we hide them from ourselves. Why? Because that's tender. That's, that hurts. Shame always leads us to self-effort and hiding. Instead of our reliance on Jesus and his work in us. Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. We see it. And he said, I hear the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid. This is Adam speaking when God said, where are you? He said, I hear the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid. And I was naked. And he hid himself. What guilt tells us is, guilt will convict us of our wrong. Meaning you've done something wrong. But shame comes to tell us that we're flawed. My, my personal definition of shame is it's a general sense of no goodness. It's a general feeling of no goodness. I just feel terrible about myself. I feel terrible about what I've done. I feel terrible about who I am. I feel terrible about myself. There's just a general sense of no goodness. I'm no good. That's what the enemy comes to bring to us. And when that happens, these walls come up. Because shame says that we're flawed. Therefore, we believe that we're unacceptable that we're unlovable and that we're unworthy to receive love from anyone, including God. And here's what it causes us to do. It causes us to hide from God and people. It causes us to cover up our pain, our sin, our flawedness with good works. And so I, if I pray enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I serve hard enough, if I'm just doing enough, then that will make up for the wrong in my life. And so we try to cover it up by good works or we just straight up pose. We put on our church faces and we come and we smile and everything's wonderful and we're blessed and highly favored and God is just glorious all the time. Well, the truth is He is glorious all the time. We're just not aware of His glory all the time. But we start posing, we start acting a certain way. We start trying to present ourselves in ways that are acceptable, or lovable, or worthy. Self-effort again. Shame is that general sense of no goodness. And when you erect that wall, what happens is we can't receive. When that wall comes up, shame comes up, and it comes up in our lives, we can't receive what God's bringing to us or what others are bringing to us. This is why it affects our, all of our relationships. It doesn't just affect you. It's not just hurting you. It's hurting you and everyone that's connected to you. My brother 
Dennis, Pastor Dennis, who is our founding pastor here at Victory, he's one of the most generous people I know. He literally is. You, you guys see him and he's kind of firm and all that. I see him when he's crawling on his knees to crawl over to my mom and just kiss her all over her face. My mom in her latter years was in a wheelchair. My brother literally would walk in and he would kneel down at, beside her wheelchair and he would just kiss her on her face like this. I'm like, bro, that's gross. <laughs> but throw a couple in there for me because I'm not going to do that. But that was the way he would come in. He would just come in and he would love all over my mom. He loved all over my grandmother like that as well, our grandmother. And he would come in, but every time he would come into our parents' house, he came in with something in his hand. Because he wanted to give something to our mom. Just a small gesture of love, just a small gesture to say, Hey, mom, I was thinking about you, and I thought about you, and I bought this for you. And one day he comes walking in, and he has flowers in one hand and an AJC in the other, Atlanta Journal-Constitution newspaper, because my mom loved to read the newspaper. And he's thinking... She doesn't get the AJC, so I'm going to buy one for her. It's the best newspaper in Atlanta. I don't know if it is or not. I don't read it. But anyway, he comes walking in with these flowers, and he comes up to my mom, and he gives her these flowers. And her response was, why'd you buy me flowers? You know I don't like flowers. I was like, okay. Note taken. Mom does not want flowers. He handed her the newspaper. And she just lit into him. Do you think I can't get my own newspaper? Yada, 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 yada. And she just ripped into him. I'm going, oh, don't bring her a newspaper either. You know what it was? Shame. I grew up in a house full of shame. And that shame would minister anytime you would try to express love to it. It would come back and just bite your head off sometimes. It wasn't a person, it was a spirit. And it was a spirit that had gripped our home. And the thing about the spirit of shame is it blocks you from receiving love. The very thing we need, forgiveness, love, care, nurture, empathy. Compassion, we can't receive it. My mom could not receive it. She couldn't receive it. And I wonder how many of us are like that. When people try to do expressions of love towards us, they they do something for us. We go, I don't need that. I don't want that. You don't have to do that. Why are you doing that? You think I need that? No, I just love you. (laughs) Just wanted to give you some flowers today. Just to say I love you, Mom. Any thought that makes you want to hide from God or from people, godly people, it's not a God thought. It's shame at work in our lives. And I wonder how many of us have this challenge, this feeling, this general sense of no goodness. And when we have this general sense of no goodness, we won't forgive ourselves because we don't think we're worthy of it. We don't think we deserve it. 
I don't want to ever do it again, so I'm never going to let myself off the hook because I want to remember how bad I felt, and I want you to remember how bad I felt. And in that moment, we're saying, God, the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough. The sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough. So what does God's word say about this? What does God's word say about forgiveness? Here's what God says to us. He says, Jesus' sacrifice fully pays for my sin and shame. It is not Jesus plus your works and your help and all the different things and your sorrow and your shame. It's not those things. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, period. Jesus, period, paid for our sin in full. There was no debt left to pay. None. None. Zero. That is so hard for us to think or imagine. And we can say, okay, I can do that for someone else, but man, I don't know if I'm going to let that, I don't know if I can do that for my own heart. You don't understand what I've done. I don't. And it doesn't really matter what I understand. What it matters is, is that we understand what Jesus did for us. That's what matters. So I'm going to read a few scriptures to you. I want you to write these down because I want you to read them over yourself every day this week, starting today and every day until next Sunday. I want you to read these scriptures over your, over your own life. Psalm 103, verse 10 through 12. Psalm 103, 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches, richness of grace, riches of grace. 1 Timothy 1 15. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. I want to read that again. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. That was Paul speaking. Jesus came to save us. To redeem us. To restore us. To renew us. To forgive us. Forgiveness is fully is a fully provided for promise from God. It's a fully provided for promise for God. One day the enemy comes into, into the courts of God and he lays a bill down on the table and he says, these things must be paid for. And he said, I will pay them in full. And he stamped it, paid. We have to receive and accept that. We have to say by faith... I forgive others, and by faith, I will forgive myself. And what is my faith in? Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Write it down. 
Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Say all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was the perfect lamb that fulfilled this debt that we have of sin once and for all. The debt of our sin never will have to be paid again. It has been paid in full. And now the one who paid for it sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And the Bible tells us that he makes intercession for us, which this is a big big word for standing in the gap. That Jesus stands in the gap for us. This gap between our sinful, broken nature and the wholeness of God, there is this bridge that goes across called forgiveness. And that forgiveness rests rests on the shoulders of Jesus. Once and for all. Meaning what? That Jesus forgave our sins past, he forgives our sins today, and he will forgive our sins ongoing. God wants us to receive Jesus as both the solution for sin and shame. But what happens when we hold on? To our own sin. And we say, God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did it over and over and over again. In Romans, I just want to encourage you to read Romans 6, 7, and 8. You're like, Pastor, you're going to have me read it all day, every day. (laughs) Best thing you can do this week. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not about to read Romans 6, 7, and 8 to you. But I'm going to talk to you about... Romans chapter 7. One of the things that it talks about there at the end of Romans chapter 7 was um, in Rome, when somebody would commit murder before they were executed uh, for their sin or for their crime, uh, they they would have a dead body, a corpse would be strapped to their back. So if you committed murder, you had to walk around carrying a dead body on your on your back for a certain amount of time. And so it was literally strapped on you. It was part of your punishment for murder. So they had strapped this dead body on your back. You couldn't take it off the whole time. The only time when you took it off was when you were about to be executed. But that body of death, a corpse on your back, strapped to you. That body would start to decay. It It would start to have infection and all kinds of things. would Maggots would get in it and all the stuff, all the grossness of it. 
It's strapped to your back as a murderer. Then what would happen is it would start to rot the flesh of the one carrying it. It would start to rot the one that was bearing the weight of this corpse on their back. When we say that we will not forgive ourselves of sin, we are taking this body of brokenness, this body of death. We're bearing it on our back. And as it decays, it starts to decay our own body. It starts to decay how we think about things. It starts to seep into a healthy body and corrupt. That's what's happening when we carry our sin. I want you to get that visual in your mind. When you won't forgive yourself, strap on the dead body. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is life. We strap it on. We carry it around. And we try to make ourselves good enough. But here was Paul's cry. In Romans chapter 7. This is what we hear. We hear this. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In other words, when I will not let this go, I am serving the law of sin. I'm carrying the weight of that sin now. But turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for Romans chapter 8. We must receive Jesus' sacrifice as enough instead of looking to works, performance, and the solution Works and performance as the solution to my sin. Here's what Romans 8 tells us. Starting in verse 1. Verse 24 and 25 are the last verses of uh, Romans chapter 7. And then it leads right into this. There's therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. In In other words, he's saying for those who walk according to the spirit and not the flesh. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. When we are able to receive forgiveness from God, when we are able to extend forgiveness to ourselves, it's like taking a body of death off of us. No condemnation. Why? Because the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus. John 1, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we do not forgive ourselves, it kind of reminds me of what we see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Write it down, Galatians 2, 21. I do not treat the grace of God with meaninglessness, as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. If you could make it right, even inside of yourself, there would have been no need for Jesus. 
in the work of Jesus. The good news is this, that our God, who abounds in mercy and faithful to forgive our sins, has forgiven us. So here's my question to you. God has forgiven you. Will you forgive you? Or is there something else that needs to be done? I want to encourage you to do something this week. I want to encourage you to look in the mirror. Not to put your eyebrows on or your eyelashes on or your lips on or your toupee on or whatever. I want you to look in the mirror and look yourself in the eyes. And say, I forgive you. I forgive you for sexual immorality. I forgive you for an abortion. I forgive you for abusing people. I forgive you for whatever it is. I forgive you. Don't rush that moment. Sit in that moment with God. I forgive you. Forgiveness is this. So how do we do this? First, we have to understand what it means, which is what we talked about in week one in the series. But I'm going to remind us, forgiveness means to stop requiring payment of a debt that is owed. When we forgive ourselves, we're releasing ourselves from paying the debt because we have an understanding that the debt was paid. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus period. So we have to understand that. Forgiveness is what Jesus came to provide for us both the judicial penalties and the relational cost have been paid. So I'm going to give you three steps to forgiving yourself. One is, I agree in a line with God's work and God's word that I am forgiven. I agree with that. So therefore, I'm going to align to that. Number two, I repent for holding my opinion over God's word and God's work. I want to encourage you to take a picture of this because some of you are going to need this when you get home. I repent for holding my opinion over God's word or God's work in my life. I repent, Lord. Forgive me. And then I receive full forgiveness 
the forgiveness that has been provided for me through Jesus so that I can be healed and set free. Jesus wants to heal us. And he wants you to forgive yourself. For the sins you committed to others, the sins you committed against your own body. He wants you to forgive yourself. Are you letting yourself off the hook? No. You're just putting yourself on God's hook. And saying, I received the work of Jesus. God, would you restore and heal and renew and make my heart whole again. So that I have a strong connection with you, God. I don't have walls erected. I can live open-heartedly. I can live open-heartedly. I don't have to protect myself. You've protected me. I can live with an open heart, with an open mind. I can live free in you, Jesus. I receive the fullness of that. Remember what we said last, the first week in the series. When we forgive, there are three things that happen. And this is found in 1 Peter. Go back and read this as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. I'm not going to read that. But that's where, this, where what I'm about to say is found. When we forgive, we accept Jesus' payment for the sin that were committed. We accept it as payment. We commit ourselves to the one who judges righteously and say, Lord, you and you alone know. And then we receive his healing and his wholeness. In the Old Testament, when people would have an encounter with God along the way, they would do something. It was pretty special. They would create an altar. An altar would be a place where they would kneel before the Lord and thank him for his work. But every time they would pass back through that place and they would see that altar, they would remember the work of God in that moment. It was meant to be a testimony to them and to the generations to come that God did something special right here. Remember what we do. We, we worship. We hear the word. We respond to the word. And then we pray. So what I want us to do now is our team leads us in a song here. It's not about us singing this song. It's about us responding to God. It's about us responding to ourselves with forgiveness. Some of you may want to come down here and kneel at this altar, and that's totally fine. I want to invite you to do so. There's something special about us getting up and moving towards something. And by doing so, we're moving towards God. Or you may say, you know what, I'm just going to kneel down right here. I'm going to make my chair my altar. I'm going to turn and I'm going to face my chair and I'm going to kneel down, but I'm going to have a moment where I forgive myself for what I have done. I'm going to release myself from the judgments that I've placed on myself. And I'm going to receive the full forgiveness of God so that I can be healthy and whole. Would you hold your hands out like this? Jesus, I thank you that you paid the penalty of all of our sins. That it was paid in full. There's nothing else to be, to be done. Nothing else that can be done. It's paid in full. And so Lord, today we receive that payment in full. We accept your payment for the sins that we have committed. And God, we apply that payment to our own brokenness and our own debt that is in our heart and in our lives. We thank you, God, that that debt is not debt that you hold. 
It's debt that you paid. And so, Lord, today, I repent for withholding forgiveness from myself. And today, I receive the full work of Jesus, and I forgive myself. In Jesus' name. As they lead us in this song, I want you to find a place up here at the altar, right at your seat, wherever it is, and let's respond to the Lord and ask him to forgive us.